0: Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of In Conversation. My name is Pat King, a staff writer here at Years to Feed. Our guest today is the wonderful songwriter Cassandra Jenkins. I caught up with Jenkins over Zoom while she was staying at her grandmother's house up in Catskill, New York to discuss her most recent album, An Overview on Phenomenal Nature. Released back in February on Bing Records, Jenkins worked closely with producer Josh Kaufman to craft a fluid song cycle full of spontaneous musical experimentation and narratives inspired by her travels. It's a gorgeous album, rich with ethereal textures and expansive storytelling. Jenkins took its name from a retrospective of the work of multimedia artist Marin Alini Mukherjee that was showing at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York back in 2019. While attending this exhibit, Jenkins struck up a conversation with a security guard who explained the importance of this exhibit, which she recorded and included on the album's entrancing centerpiece, Hard Drive. In this conversation, we discussed the album, her musical upbringing, the inspiration she gets from random interactions with people and how we are lost without them, her memories of David Berman, and rehearsing as a part of the Purple Mountains Band before his tragic passing, and so much more. I hope you enjoy! (laughs) <laughs> Cassandra Jenkins. Welcome to The In Conversation Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um so Yeah. So it's it's a weird time. Uh, things are things are opening back up and and it seems like people are getting out on the road and at least being able to do the promotion for records that came out last year that they weren't able to do. Your album An Overview of Phenomenal Nature came out over the past year Mm -hmm. are are you kind of doing that right now are you are you setting up touring um what's what's kind of going on right now
1: yeah we are about to announce a bunch of tours i'm kind of like potentially going to do even more touring um depending on what shakes out after the over the course of the next few weeks i'm announcing a tour um across europe in the fall (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Which is
1: really soon. Um, and I've noticed like a lot of my friends that are touring are touring in the winter and the spring in Europe. And I'm going to play the, I'm going to play Pitchfork Paris. And, um, and so we are kind of planning a tour around that you know just because I'm going to be over there anyway and there's a couple other festivals happening and I'm really excited to have that prospect on the calendar even though I'm not certain um, I'm not certain it will happen we are very much still in the age of COVID I talked with someone um, last week in a for a podcast and (laughs) I joined and they were like COVID's over huh and I was like What are you talking about? (laughs) What? What? (laughs) Like, yes, it might feel that way in certain pockets. And like, maybe you're not wearing your mask outside anymore because you're in New York or whatever, but it's not over my friend. So I, I'm still with this. I'm cautiously optimistic, um, as always that this tour will happen. I really hope it does. I mean, I feel like musicians are sort of on the edge of the world going out here, playing shows. It's kind of insane. It's like, in some ways, I feel like we're, maybe sounds a little too dramatic, but it feels like musicians are in many ways like the ambassadors to to re-entry more than a lot of other, like really live music or public assembly of any kind is maybe the most significant subtle shift that will happen the more significant shifts are like access to healthcare and access to um, seeing friends and family and travel and all of that but then public assembly is like that's a major major shift it's just you know I hope that I hope that we can see that happen by the time I am scheduled to tour and I'm excited to think that I might be playing in front of a large audience by the time the fall rolls around.
0: so Yeah. It's, it's really strange. I, whereas it used to be kind of like a reflex for me to just, to just simply go to two or three shows a week, you know, here in Brooklyn, because it was just something to do. I I feel like I still have, like, I, I haven't like wiped the sleepies like the COVID sleepies out of my eyes yet. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) like, like, like it's, it's just, it's just not like, it's still a conversation I'm having in my head. It's starting out as like, of course, I'm not going to a show. Like, you know, yeah. like, like I, I still haven't like built myself up to it. Like, I don't know. Is, yeah. it, was it, was that something, I guess when you were booking the tour or this upcoming yeah. tour in, in Europe was, was that kind of a, what, what was the conversation like?
1: It's with- really, it's ongoing. Like i I'm still, I'm still, saying yes or no to a couple of the shows on the tour being like, how do you say yes to something that feels impossible right now? Um, How do you say no to something that you are dreaming of daily? It's just really bizarre to be, you know, there's, there's this like motivational expression of, of just like, think greater than you feel when maybe you're not feeling great about yourself, about your health, about, the future, whatever it is, but, and I'm trying to adopt that mentality because right now I'm alone in a house. I haven't really seen very many humans lately. Like, yes, a lot of things have hatched in New York and I've gotten to see my friends again, which has been so healing. It's also been like supremely awkward at points because I just don't remember how to socialize in groups. Like (laughs)
0: it's (laughs) exhausting.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a lot. I, I just encourage you and everyone and myself to take it in stages. Um, like I have not gone out to a bar or a club or anything like that yet. Like I've just gone to small gatherings and, and I've taken the subway. I've I've gone to some outdoor shows, baby steps. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> it seems like, you know, listening to this record in a lot of ways, it's, it's, it's such like a travelogue record. I, I get the sense that it's, it's a travelogue record. You know, every, every song seems to be based on source material from conversations that you've had. And I, I just get the impression that you're, I guess, creation or, or writing a song for you and correct me if I'm wrong, but creation or writing a song for you doesn't come unless you have ample source material. Like, it seems like, like yeah. it, it's, it seems like yeah. you're, you're constantly, Willing to uh, engage with with people and kind of see where it goes, and and through that, yeah, you kind of gain those experiences which enrich your art. Yeah. <laughs> when when things started opening back up, were you just kind of like, it, it must have just been dizzying for you, <laughs> you know, to kind of go out and talk yeah, to people. Yeah,
1: that's really insightful. I mean, I've actually been thinking about that exact thing. I, I mean, I a couple of things that you mentioned that I want to touch on. Like I was, someone asked me, I was speaking with a label representative yesterday and they were saying like, what are you writing your next record? Like what's going on? Like what's the next step? And I was like, no, sir, no, sir. I am not. <laughs> um, yeah. I am still like very much processing everything that's going on today. And just like the most, shell-shocked way like not in a okay let me go write this down into a song kind of way and my first knee-jerk response to that question was like I haven't really lived like a an immersive life in two years and immersing myself in the outside world is definitely where I get charged and where I get my ideas that's when my that's when my blood is flowing to my brain in the most like <laughs> pal- like palpable way I can imagine. So it, it just to live so much of this period in isolation, I, I definitely have felt a tremendous part of my creativity wilting while other parts of my creativity have of course thrived, um, but like, I think yeah re-entering kind of talking to people again that is that has been really interesting I was thinking you know here I am like so much of that record came from talking to strangers and having these kind of clandestine interactions one flowing into the next in a kind of almost manic way and here I am like I just don't I feel kind of I feel pretty awkward talking to almost everyone like I've just been living inside of my brain and inside of my computer for almost two years now so you know a year and a half I'm exaggerating and yeah I went to a gathering the other day with a bunch of new people and they asked me you know they didn't know who I was and they asked me what I did and um, I, I only knew one person at the gathering. So I was just kind of like the mystery guest and I just didn't know how to talk about what I, what I do. And I, you know, I, I just kind of clammed up and I, it's, it's so funny. Like I've been completely turned on my head in other words. And I, I think ultimately that's really good for growth Clearly, like I was functioning in one way, and now I'm learning to function in another way. And I think, as long as you're not um, in the throes of like trauma, like that's going to challenge you in a good way. Like, challenges are good, they're healthy for growth, um, as long as they're not too challenging. So, just trying to find the medium between you know, all of us are coming, I feel like I'm rambling, sorry, all of us are coming, coming out of a very traumatic time, and good to, important to acknowledge that, Um, important to acknowledge, like, just that we've all survived, to take that, be grateful for it, um, and not expect for things to just immediately fall back into place they're going to fall into different new places and we're going to have to figure out what that looks like yeah I I read this tweet the other day that I really loved that was like hi can we just all go back to that that period of time where people were applauding me just because I got through the day (laughs) 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 I was was relating to that um, because I mean there were many days where I would just be like "Nope." you're you're still alive. You ate three meals today. Like
0: I know, I know. Great. Like patting ourselves on the back for like the smallest accomplishments. Like I and yeah. and you're right. I, I think we we can't downplay just how taxing and and just unbearably horrible like this this past year and a half was. I, I think when we're kind of removed from these situations, we really. <laughs> it was it was really interesting to kind of understand who we are operating on an empty tank for so long <laughs> you know yeah. like like it was it was yeah. almost like a way of through meditation you know it's through breathing or something you kind of try and get yourself centered and back to zero but yeah it was almost like you know just dodging this horrible pandemic almost you know, brought us back to that in a way. Like we, I I feel like everyone had like such a self reflection period during this time of, of like understanding what's important, you know, who we are, but, but it, I I think you're right. I think, I think without, you know, interaction, you know, that's so much of who we are and, and losing that it's, we're all kind of these, these weird, like for some people, it's just like, all we can talk about is like, you know, what Netflix shows we've watched or, you know, things that like helped us get through the day. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think before we are able to like grow and meditate, we have to first acknowledge just how hard things are and just like, yeah, we breathe through that before then going into the next essential step of acceptance and, and, uh, some form of, of growth. And then, and then also the thing that I am reflecting on most right now is just how much I learned about my nervous system in terms of the most basic form of interaction of just the presence of another person or another person's hand on your hand, when uh, you're having a difficult day, like those, and, and also the nervous system's response to to both stress and then to just like very basic care it's just so intrinsic to how we function um as humans and i didn't realize how much i needed human interaction how much i needed touch how much i needed just the sound of someone breathing in the same room as me just like really basic things that i'm processing on levels that i'm not aware of and i'm more aware of them now yeah our nervous systems need some time to adjust and um, get out of survival mode and back into thriving mode <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah you have such a i guess unique um background when it comes to i guess human interaction because you grew up in such a musical family and yeah with with your parents you know being working musicians and then also um being very from what I've read, it seems very encouraging of, I guess, getting out of your comfort zone by, by hosting mm-hmm. kind of like folk jams in, in their apartment was... <laughs> folk jams, sorry. <laughs> I, I cringed, as, cringed as that came out of my mouth. Um, I, I guess growing up, so much of that shapes your identity. But when you first started kind of thinking that you would have your own musical journey, your own musical life, do you think that was an advantage for you kind of interacting with people and figuring out what kind of music you wanted to play for the rest of your mm-hmm. life or, or do oh, you think? Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, this is a deep question. I, I grew up in a very specific musical um, lexicon, I think. And it was a, a combination of, of things that, I slowly, now I can kind of like look back, I'm in my mid thirties and I can look back and see the ways in which my personality emerged out of the soil of my my upbringing and very much resisted, was shaped by, but also resisted my my surroundings. So, I I still will always love folk music and, and the kind of folk music that I was introduced to as a as a kid. I also studied jazz as a teenager and kind of understood that to be the be all end all of what music is and, and to be a good musician is to be an accomplished technical like instrumentalist and improviser, neither of which I consider myself to be. And it took me a really long time to break out of my, my family's associations with what, what a successful artist looks like, what a an accomplished musician looks like, sounds like. I'm very different from how that kind of ideal artist presents in the vision of my parents eyes and my younger self eyes like why I as a kid who was raised on John Coltrane for example is like kind of a an icon of of like who would be I mean maybe he's not even a good example because I, I think jazz is is a complicated subject for me I, I consider myself to be a jazz dropout because I, I studied <laughs> jazz um as a kid I went to jazz camp I like studied all the standards and really hated soloing. I really, really hated it. I can't really tell you why. I'm probably going to continue to unpack this for a long time. I think it wasn't where my strengths were lying as a musician. And so while I was simultaneously studying jazz and like playing in a family band and presenting in a very kind of like traditional um, like academic sense, I was also kind of getting curious about noise music and Sonic Youth and the Velvet Underground, like just things that were, I was kind of like secretly developing a taste for something completely different. Um, the new,
0: the new jazz. <laughs> like no wave. Some, in,
1: yeah. And <laughs> yeah, right. In some ways, like, I guess I, I couldn't relate to the academic approach um, even though I loved the music and like, I didn't know how to define my place in that, but I know that when it came time to take my first bass solo in my jazz combo at jazz camp, I played one note and I stopped playing and I have never played a bass (laughs) solo since. (laughs) Um, Even still my parents, like even as I have a record that suddenly has done well by all kind of like on paper and been heard by more people than I think I'm even really aware of at this point in time. I think my parents are still kind of confused about what I do, <laughs> <laughs> and they listen to interviews or read interviews, and they're they're like, "Oh, I, I think I'm starting to get it." You know, I, I think they're I think I'm a bit of a mystery to everyone in my family. Even though you'd think like, "Oh, family of musicians," like she's just kind of emerged. It's it's like a clear path, but actually, it's. I think in some ways a more convoluted path because I grew up with a very clear idea of what I was supposed to do and how I was supposed to perform and speak between songs and sing a perfect version of autumn leaves. uh, When in fact I was interested in a much fringier version of, of what music is to me. And like, I went to art school, I studied performing arts and in that, from like a visual art standpoint, and my interest just like veered off. Maybe it's a little bit of a revolt um, from my specific tradition. I, does that make sense? I feel no, like- I'm-
0: no, no, don't totally. I, I think. <laughs> do Do you feel that I, I guess their perspective on the whole thing? Do you think the disconnect is that they view being musicians as? I feel like every musician has a story where if they're trying to make something in a group that's unique, mm-hmm. that's their own. And then you try and explain it to your parents. It's, you know, you'll, you'll be met with like, Oh, you should, you should play some covers. Like, why don't you play covers <laughs> or something like mm-hmm. that? Like did they view it as yeah. more like punching the clock or, or like going into the office, I, mm-hmm. I guess, viewing There's, it as, yeah. as, as, as gig over the expression.
1: My dad, for sure. Cause my dad is a gigging piano player. He plays hotels, weddings, club dates. My mom is a little bit less. So she she is a musician, like grew up as a church organist, went on. To, she also played in a family band, but like went on to also be a teacher. There is this kind of like, well, how much money did you make at that gig? There's like a little bit of that right. energy and, and like how are you going to pay for a new guitar when you can't even pay rent? You know, it's like, and that, that kind of, it's not thinking greater than you feel. It's very much like preparing for the worst kind of stuff because they've been through it all. They've been, they've been, they've played all the shitty gigs. They've, they've been screwed over by promoters. They've done all that and they don't want to see me go through all of that, but they also don't see that I might have a slightly different approach and I might, have more support than I ever had, which is very fortunate. Um, Like, and that has taken a long time to develop. I've been, I kind of admitted to myself that I wanted to play music probably like a decade ago. And that's, that's a long time in a lifetime. Yeah. yeah. I'm still kind of like admitting to myself on, on like deeper layers, the same thing every day. You know, every time you meet a challenge, she, uh, or every time I meet a challenge, I have to kind of like present myself to my, my own jury, like, okay, are you gonna, how's this one gonna go? Like, are you still dedicated? Like, are you, how much do you feel dedicated today?
0: Um, Isn't that some shit? I I feel like, (laughs) I feel like, yeah, like anything. Yeah. I I, I feel like any job where you have to create something out of nothing. There's that kind of conversation with yourself, right? It's like, am I this, like, am I able to do this? But because you, you say you are, you are, you know, because you do the yeah. work you are. And it's, it's so, it's so hard to so grapple with. Work.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's so much about like, I'll never forget. I played in this band about 10 years ago, the first band I ever went on tour with. And the woman who started it said, you know, a lot of people over the years, they're critical of me because I'm not a very good musician. And my my music might not be as good as theirs, but you know what, I put in the work and I put in the work every day and I work really hard. And so I'm not gonna let them get me down. And you know, I'll never forget that. And she's, she's probably about 10 years older than I am. And, and um, I didn't know what she was really talking about, but I'm kind of understanding it. It's like, you do have to just do a lot of sweat. I mean, I, I felt like that art school instilled that in me, the 99% perspiration thing, uh, 1% inspiration is like, I I think from an early age, I I was like, I want to do the work. I want to sweat. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I want to bleed.
1: <laughs> I want to cry. I want to do it all. You know, like, I think I h- have that mentality. And then you meet new challenges and deeper challenges all the time.
0: It's, yeah, and uh,
1: I think just just our condition to always want to be like, want the next best thing for, for whatever we're doing.
0: But I, I think that kind of led you to have this full musical life so far. I, I've you've yeah. you've worked with so many people, and and it just seems mm-hmm. like you're you're always willing, or you had been always willing to kind of jump into different projects, even if it it felt like it wasn't your intended plan, or or if or if that was the kind of music you'd want to be playing. But it seems like you've worked with so many people, and it led you to. You know, work with so many people that have helped you along the way, like working with someone like Josh Kaufman, uh, how did that relationship start?
1: I met Josh singing in a band um, doing, I think the first time I met him was doing a Leonard Cohen cover uh, for a tribute night. And he he backed me up on guitar um, doing one of my favorite Leonard Cohen songs, which is called um, Secret Life. Um, or in my secret life and uh, that was the first time we ever collaborated but Josh is a really great example too of someone who he's folk he's indie rock he's playing soul and improv and you know he's his influences are still kind of idiosyncratic and I think our, our we merge in a lot of those places like someone who Is just as comfortable playing like the most tender, quiet folk song as he is playing like a giant bombastic.
0: Like uh, fuzzed out solos. Really loud.
1: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And and so I think someone who can understand all of those impulses and all of those contours, I think is someone who I love working with because I don't have to explain myself. I don't have to like, I don't really have to explain where I'm coming from. The music can just essentially flow pretty freely because it it's not trying to define itself or like push itself in any particular direction. Like making a record with Josh was exactly that. Like there was never a point where we were trying to go for a sound or like being like, I want it to sound like this, or, you know, there was never a moment like that. It was just like, Oh, this is, sounding like this. And I never thought it would do that. Um And, you know, I didn't have to, it's it's funny, because it's really only in retrospect that people are then applying sort of my influences, sort of retroactively, like, people saying like, Oh, this sounds like Lori Anderson. And this sounds like I don't know who else I I just that's been one that I've gotten a lot and interestingly like she's one of my heroes but I really wasn't thinking about her at all when I was making my music I think it
0: I could I could see comes that through yeah I could I could yeah. see that on on hard drive for sure
1: yeah um, I yeah yeah I, I guess as I'm talking pretty directly to I'm talking I'm telling a story she's a storyteller she's yeah. one of the best storytellers you know yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I can hear that for sure I, I think Anyway, working with Josh was just such a delightful experience because I didn't ever once feel like we ever got stuck. You know, anytime things weren't feeling right, we just like keep moving and, and. Yeah,
0: like the the instrumentation, it. You're right. It, it feels like like ink in water or something. Like it just feels like <laughs> like, like the idea was dropped like a like a little bit of ink and just expands out in unpredictable ways. And I mean,
1: yeah, that's beautiful. That's, that's, that's a really, that's a really great description for how it feels to work with Josh. Actually. Right. Um, you, you kind of start with a, with a basic idea and it does, it just kind of, it grew in that way where it just expands and it takes shape as it, as it flows. So yeah, that's beautiful
0: coming because I, I read that you had, an original album written and correct me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. you kind of scrapped those old songs and started fresh. Like how fresh were they when they, yeah. when you came into the studio, were they, were you still kind of writing as you they went were, along or.
1: Yeah. They were words on paper from my phone and my email and my notebook. And I, I would go into the studio with my stack of paper and cause I printed everything out. Cause I like seeing things physically. I just, it was helpful to take all of my millions of thoughts that were completely disorganized and chaotic and just put them in one place. And I'd be like, Josh, I think this is a song. And we would start with an organ loop or a drum beat, or occasionally I would have like a tiny piece of a melody and and um, go through the stack of paper and be like, okay, which one should we do today? And then we'd work on it. And then I'd go, we'd usually finish working at around 6 p.m. He's a he's a family guy. and. I would go off like either to play a show that night or go to a poetry reading or just go home, continue to sing the stuff in my head on the subway and write verses. I, wrote, I write a lot on the subway while I'm moving, would bring those changes to the studio the next day. And we'd maybe apply them or if we had time or we just start on the next one and kind of come back to it later. So it was really, really fresh. I mean, just completely uncreated and, and then
0: it took shape with him hard drive starts with that field recording or that conversation with mm-hmm. the security guard in the museum, in the Met, mm-hmm. how often does that inspire your writing? Do you usually like, if, if you can sense a conversation like that is coming, do you kind of mm-hmm. have the self-awareness to kind of be like, oh, this is something that will be useful, you know, for a song in the future? Do you rely on that for, have, for your writing? I have
1: to say that I, I did not make any of those recordings or write any of those things down thinking this is going to be a song. I That was just me being like, this is something that I want to capture because I was in a deep state of obs- observing, of listening. And I think that's a very different state from that of writing for me. I'm rarely doing them at the same time. I think if I'm capturing and writing at the same time, they kind of like cancel each other out. Right. Because you're thinking from this critical editing brain versus the like spongy listening space of just being an antenna. And later I go back and I kind of like figure out what that interaction was. And, And I used that field recording like long after I'd I didn't listen to it once I I just remember leaving the museum that day and kind of walking across the park home after leaving my friends and kind of like writing a summary of what I had experienced in my in my phone and then that later turned into the beginning of a song and uh you know realizing that putting rhymes together kind of pushing the narrative forward and then yeah, that song in particular, it was really only I had probably written like, something like five verses, cut a few of them out. And then the verse about the psychic at the end was the last verse to come in because I had just experienced that. And then the the chorus, like the only refrain in that song of the, the hard drive thing, like, that didn't come in until I was riding the subway and I realized like, oh, I'm talking about a driving instructor and I'm talking about this other guy who said that the mind's a hard drive. Like, oh, there's a play on words there. But that really came in from me putting it all in one place, hearing the, hearing the driving beat and then like singing it to myself in my head. And that's what I really love about songwriting is like, it's not always putting the puzzle pieces together in an organized way, sometimes it's just kicking around in your brain until these connections form. Yeah. And sometimes they never form and you don't turn it into a song or it's a very different kind of song. And sometimes they've got these little like jokes embedded in them. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah, Like your daily interactions aren't a fluid line for the human experience for the, for the total human experience. It's just for yourself. you know.
1: (laughs) Of course. And, and, and yeah, it's like, our brains that turn them into narratives, you know, and storylines for better or for worse, you know, I I think I'm always trying to forget the storyline that my brain (laughs) is trying to create, you know, especially because oftentimes, those storylines that we create are like, they we have a a negative bias a lot of the time, but I I think we could steer it in more open ways, like, it can do more powerful and beautiful things. But it's uh, we can't help but create stories out of our experiences. It's just this like compulsive nature of the brain to try to oversimplify completely mysterious things. It, uh,
0: yeah. It's like trying to reach understanding and just like living in confusion gets confla- mm-hmm. gets, gets mixed. Like we're, we're apt to think that it's a negative experience and, and we're never, we never allow ourselves to think of our lives as triumphs or comeback stories in any way. It's like, yeah, we got to give ourselves yeah. breaks. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but. Yeah. I mean, I just have this almost compulsive nature too, to kind of tie a bow on everything. I'll remember my first job out of college, I worked as a photo editor and, um, or like on a, on a editorial staff rather. I I was not, that wasn't my official title. My first day on the job, this photo came across my desk of a very clean horizon line and a person holding like 20 balloons in the distance. And you can see this just beautiful rainbow bunch of balloons. And I kept that photo on my desk for the next two years. And I just loved that photograph. On my last day, I'll never forget like, leaving the office and i looked out the window onto times square and a giant bunch of balloons floated past my window and i just remember thinking oh hello thank you for this celebration and this like farewell but that's me putting that story together but it's also in collaboration with my environment and i I sometimes I wish I could put that down because I'm like, come on, not everything's designed for you. It's it's a very self-centered kind of way of seeing the universe, but it's also really magical. And you have to sort of tread the line between that kind of magical thinking, which is so fun and so like entrancing, but it can also be a little bit dangerous when you you know you don't see the balloons and you're like well where's my farewell party or you know, <laughs> i don't know <laughs> or if yeah. you know or if that perfect story is like really tragic or whatever so i think it's it's treading a line between like having these bows tied on everything and and letting things fray at the edges and be chaotic to a certain extent yeah you know, and be obsessed with the storyline all the time
0: that's really interesting that you bring that up because you kind of touch on that feeling in ambiguous Norway. Um, Yeah. 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 Where, where you, you initially were supposed to go on tour with David Berman's project purple mountains before he, before he passed. And then, yeah. Could you, could you just tell that story? I I think it's really interesting about how there was a European tour booked. Am I right? And then you, you kind of, went on it yourself when it didn't go through yeah could you could you explain that story
1: yeah it was a u.s tour that i was supposed to go on wow i mean three months of my life were planned out um and and then a european tour later in the year um that hadn't been set in stone yet yeah this song actually talks a lot about that idea of the fact that I don't know how to make sense of all of these poetic connections that I'm making. How do you even begin to put those into writing, into words? I can't do justice to the kinds of images that I'm seeing around me. And, and like feeling both in awe of that and frustrated by it. I think that that's what that song is about. And all of that being very tied to the death of a great artist and someone I really wanted to become friends with. Um, um, But yeah, David passed away. He he tragically took his own life, um, which none of us saw coming, but at the same time, you know, he was someone who, who did talk about that very openly. Um, His, his, mental health was like a big part of his music um, and his writing. And I think someone who also like really was often overwhelmed by the beauty in the world and and also the pain in it. Yeah. When he, when he passed, I long story short, like a plan that I had canceled in order to join the band, I ended up going back to that initial plan once the band was no longer going on tour, because I had forgotten to cancel a plane ticket. And so I got on the plane that I was supposed to get on, which was coincidentally, the same night as our first show at the same time that we were supposed to get on the stage, like it was at 10pm. on I think it was the 10th of August. And there I was taking off and going on a completely different direction that was Weirdly, the direction I had initially planned. So it was like a lot of sliding doors. Um, when I got to Norway, um, I just had some of those crazy poetic experiences where I was sitting on this dock. I was looking down at my notebook. I was writing about David. I was writing about Purple Mountains. And then this young man that I had met the night before, when I had just gotten in, canoed up to this dock where I was sitting and started. <laughs> saying things to me about the Danish clouds being as monumental as, as mountainscapes because they had such a flat landscape that they had to find it in other things. And like, you know, I just, I was just sitting there like this guy doesn't even know that I've just been through this crazy experience. And, um, I was writing about the purple mountains and David's middle name is cloud. I was just like having that, one of those moments where I was like, ah, it all just means so much, but what does it mean? You know, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, feeling freaked out by it, but also like feeling like I was communing with something much greater than myself. Uh, it was kind of like, I felt like it was kind of laughing at me and I was kind of laughing with it because it was just so absurd. And to find those moments of of expanse in periods of mourning, I think are also they might just be like, it might just be part of the brain's coping mechanism with right. like, when you're dealing with shock, you're also your brain's just like, well, take a look at this, look over here, you know, and I don't know how much of it is actually like a magical experience, or if it's just my brain being like, hey, we're gonna get through this, like, hey, look over this, here's a magical Danish man to come, to come so tell you some cool stories, and you're gonna write them down in your book, and one day you're gonna turn it into a song. And so I don't know how much of it is is actually kismet and some kind of connection with the cosmos and how much of it is just neurons firing in a certain cool way. And in any case at the line of that song that I feel the closest to is the poetry's not lost on me. I walk around alone laughing in the street is just kind of like very much describing my, my circumstance as, human and a writer and a a receptive being in the world is just being like I get it haha very funny but here I'm just alone at the end of the day like does that is anyone else seeing this you know like is this thing on (laughs) that's just that's that's just how I feel at the end of the day
0: yeah and it felt
1: good to encapsulate that sense of confusion of, of just like uh, yes, I'm a songwriter, but I don't know what to do with all of this.
0: I was just looking it up on on my computer because I forgot the director's name. There's a great scene, and I don't know why I forgot because he's amazing, but have you ever seen Richard Linklater's movie, Everybody Wants Some? It was kind of no. like the, have you ever seen Days and Confused? His, yes, it has been a yeah. long
1: time. I should really watch it again.
0: That's so, such a so, good title. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But so this movie is is kind of like the spiritual se- sequel to that movie. And it's about like a bunch of college baseball players. I, I think in the early eighties, there's a scene where there's, there's a discussion between the baseball players about superstitions when it comes to the baseball game, you know, like this one guy, I think he like, before he goes up to bat, he like taps the bat on his, his foot like a few times or, or something like it's something small like that. And they get into this discussion about how, Traditions were invented in like pagan times, before, or mm. or early religion to kind of just make sense of of all the terrible things happening, like in the world. Yeah, <laughs> like just yeah, to just yeah. be like, like there there is like a higher purpose or, or energy or something, and and it's all because of that. And yeah, and it's it's such a weird thing that it's really stayed with humanity for like all this time that we we kind of have to attribute. You know, meaning when all of it is so random, you know, like there's yeah. there's just I well, guess random rules. <laughs> <You know?
1: laughs> random rules. I know. I was just gonna say that. I'm like, oh, it all comes back to those like <laughs> amazing lines that that came from David's pen. You know, like I, I I think he was often really grappling with all of that stuff and in such a beautiful way. Yeah, I mean, the kind of religion thing that you're referring to, I've always, I think a lot of that became clear to me as a younger person studying history and learning about the Middle Ages and serfdom and that being like the, the church, like both, Providing solace for like an absolutely dismal life on Earth, but also yeah, the Black Plague. Like yeah, simultaneously oppressing people, just being like, it's fine. I'm a serf now, but I'm gonna be in heaven later. You know, it's like <laughs> it, it's religion serving this like dual purpose of like keeping those people down, but also kind of like allowing them some kind of mental salvation. And yeah, it's all I I I'm pretty much agnostic. So I, I think I, I went to Catholic school as a kid. <laughs> like um it's I, I'm pretty skeptical.
0: Yeah, right. Religion. <laughs> I I had um I had tickets to one of those the Brooklyn shows, the Brooklyn Purple Mountains shows. Yeah. How, how were the rehearsals for that band? I mean,
1: you know, it's interesting. I I met with Cyrus who played guitar in that band uh, last week. And we were talking about the fact that in this circumstance that you and I are speaking in, like, I think I've been able to encapsulate this really insane moment in my life in like a presentable way so that I don't have to like revisit some difficult feelings um, I think that's the natural response to, like, any kind of shocking experience. I'm sure we're all going to be doing the same kind of thing with regards to COVID for years to come. I don't often think back on the rehearsals. It can be pretty emotional, to actually, kind of, it, it wasn't really until I was sitting across from my friend, like, talking about what that was actually like, that I was like, oh, shh wow, that was uh, really insane what we went through. The rehearsals were really beautiful. They were like, that was a moment in my life where all of the difficult things I've been through trying to make music and all the nights where I didn't sleep or was stressed about one thing or another or just any of the difficult things I went through, like they felt worth it weirdly in the moment that I was, playing that music and kind of like, I feel like it's all worth it because I'm here and I'm here playing with the the best band I've ever played in with people that I believe in and really believe in me. And, um, weirdly not knowing David for more than a few days, like I still felt that coming from him in a way that was so incredibly special and like empowering and, and, um, and just, I felt like, wow, I'm I'm in the right place right now. And I don't feel that way very often in my life. I, I, I do not feel aligned. It wasn't like I've made it, I've arrived. I never, I don't think I'll ever feel that way, but to feel aligned at a moment in time is a really extraordinary thing. And I can only count on one hand, like the moments in my life where I felt that way. And of course, tragic in hindsight to know that that was so fleeting They were fleeting because someone's life um, ended. Like it's easy to say far too soon. I, I don't really know. Those rehearsals were amazing. They were really beautiful. David was struggling a lot with his health, but really every day, like making incredible strides with his ability to perform the songs. He, by the fourth rehearsal was able to sing Wild Kindness without crying. I just told a story on KEXP about he would high five the imaginary audience in the front row (laughs) in our rehearsal space, which was just the most incredible combination of just like physical comedy. and, And like, it was so beautiful. It was like, here we are in the, crammed into this tiny Brooklyn rehearsal space. You know, I feel like a similar bizarre cognitive dissonance right now when we're talking about what it's like to think about going on tour. I'm kind of doing that same like joking, like high five, like what me on stage in front of thousands of people, like at a festival when, you know, I'm afraid to go to the grocery store still. Like it, it's just
0: <laughs> right. Right
1: it's weird to now be thinking of a similar kind of like stretch of imagination. Um, But the point of me telling you the story is that like, I did get to see these glimpses of his humor, but also this, in order to have that sense of humor, you have to simultaneously accept the difficulty of that belief, as well as that belief that you will do that. And so it's, it's in hindsight, like really hard to think about that because that moment never came. That moment was there in in our hearts and um, maybe made even more like funny and tragic because of the mind state that he was in at that time, which I will never fully understand. But I've thought about that moment so many times.
0: I could see a lot of similarities between his and your songwriting you know i i feel like it pulls from finding poetry in the everyday and and there are funny moments on the record i at least i feel like i i i find humor in in some of your lyrics and yeah i
1: mean that's that's a really nice thing to say
0: and yeah i mean it, it just must have been incredible i i such a enriching experience for you
1: yeah it was and like just to feel the trust of my bandmates like jarvis and katie and cyrus and josh like just bringing me on it kind of at the last minute and being like, Hey, we want you to play guitar in this really epic band. Um,
0: <laughs> how how big, this, how, how big was the band?
1: That's I, I just listed all the band members and David, you know, it was, that was a just to feel like, why do these people want me in this band? Like, I'm not cool enough or good enough for this kind of like, but then gaining the confidence, like having Cyrus show me a bunch of guitar parts and having Katie kind of like guide me with some of the vocals. And just Jarvis being like the most amazing, also just like really funny, very down to earth person that he is, like inviting me on tour, but also giving me a really pretty realistic expectation for what that might be like. But again, like it's all conjecture because it didn't happen, but I just feel lucky that I was trusted in that moment. And, you know, even in the morning process, I felt lucky to be there because I felt like Lucky to be trusted by these people in, in a moment that was really scary and vulnerable, and you know, Oof. yeah, I, I don't think I can talk about this
0: anymore. <laughs> oh no, yeah, I'm I'm sorry, and and thank you for yeah okay. you know, yeah sharing. Back back to uh you know touring this this upcoming year uh you know with with the record having these kind of expansive lush arrangements uh how big how big will the band be that you'll be touring with
1: for the us band like as much as i can i'm gonna bring a sax player out with me which would bring my four-piece core into a five-piece um and then occasionally into a six-piece because i'd love you know my friend adam schatz was recently like you know you made a beautiful headphones record um yeah. and how Landlady, much can you yeah. create yeah, yeah 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 everybody knows adam i love that guy <laughs> so much he's I consult him a lot for touring things we've gone on tour together we've we've been deep in the minivan tour together I was like how do I do this how do I make I don't know how much to get into the the nuts and bolts of it but I think it's important for people who care about live music to know that I'm not making any money when I'm going out and doing these tours I'm losing a lot of money and like that's a hard decision to make because it's hard to tour it's like incredible to get to go on these adventures and meet people and play to audiences who are listening and and like carved out a weeknight to see you and maybe bought tickets in advance like it's amazing to have all those things converge you know it's so difficult to figure out how to make all the puzzle pieces fit together so I often consult Adam when I'm like, you know, I can only afford to bring one person with me and break even, but I want to bring five people with me. How do I do that? And, you know, I'm going to probably end up bringing four people with me on a lot of these tours. And then in major cities or major festivals, I'll bring a sax player on and maybe a keyboardist. So cool. yeah, like in Europe, I'm really excited. I'm going to bring this band called Lilo with me and they are, uh, an existing band that's kind of on hiatus right now, like kind of pivoting into their next record. And I think they're just excited to to play and they we've we're friends. They're gonna join me. This is a group of Glaswegian class region guys and then in the u.s it's probably going to change a little bit because i'm playing with like adam brisbane for example also plays in buck meek's band noah hecht also is playing with fiery furnaces a bunch this year and my friend ian davis is going to come play but is also a teacher and uh i think Stuart Bogie might come and play some sax with me um and he also plays in a lot of projects so everybody's pretty busy so i also i play with this guitarist named lila larson who's awesome and she's out with alex cameron a lot Uh, this year and my friend Oliver Hill might join me on some stuff and he plays in Vagabond and some other projects he has a project called Dust Rider. so everybody that I play with usually they're in their own projects as well Um, just like me when I'm playing in other people's bands like I think we all kind of rotate and I love that I, I love being a band member I love playing with other people that have their own thing going on you know it just we're constantly switching roles and staying flexible in terms of like what our role is on a given day and I'm excited to play with my friends again
0: yeah did you try and get Adam to, to join at any time or I mean he's, Chats, he's yeah yeah he's he's, he's really busy, busy. With
1: Japanese breakfast who right. is just like destroying right now just like <laughs> I mean, like best-selling book, yeah. One of the best albums of the year, just on complete fire. It's really amazing to see. I kind of assumed I was like, I bet Adam's going to be playing with her because I saw him play with her a few years ago and in Central Park, um, and it was great. And I called him to, just to be like, "Hey, I've got some tours coming up, and he's completely booked solid." Right. So, yeah, he will not. He will not be joining me. But maybe you know. I'll have another tour one day where he'll join me, and I'll join him. You know, it'll just just because yeah. this tour isn't happening, it doesn't even want to happen. Yeah, I feel right. like excited that my shows that I'm offering my friends to join me on are like good shows, and oftentimes, you know, my friends have been there for me when we're playing to the to a weird at a weird bar and. I literally had a fan once come up to me and say, what are you doing here? You're too good <laughs> for this. And being like, I don't know. This is, this is the gig that I got. They're like, I'm really happy you're here. Cause like, I love you. But like, what is this? And I You're thinking, welcome. You know, when, <laughs> when that was happening, I was like, he's right. I shouldn't be playing this gig, but here I am like trying to make money between other gigs. And you know, it's, a, it's, uh, not always glamorous, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As you know? So, so yeah, I feel like in, in contrast, I'm finally calling my friends and being like, guys, we're going to play pitchfork fest this year. Like, it's going to be fun. It's going to be (laughs) great. I swear.
0: I swear. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And, but I feel so excited that I can, like my friends who have been playing with me through all of those gigs and beyond, like, we're actually going to play some really great gigs this year. So it's like, kind of a dream come true, really. I feel like that's been my hope. Like, I, I've been kind of hanging on by a thread being like, I promise we'll get good shows eventually. And now that I'm getting there, I'm like, it's happening. It's really happening. Thanks for believing in me all these years, you know. And now we get to go and play these songs that I'm proud of. And I'm not tired of yet, because I've never played them. So yeah, I'm just, I'm I'm excited to, to do it.
0: Yeah. It's, it's so exciting. Yeah. Thanks. Cassandra. Thanks so much for joining me. This was so much fun and, and congrats on the record. I mean, it's, it's one of my favorites of the year and, and I'm, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy that you know, this tour is coming together. it's it's really exciting.
1: Thank you so much. Um, yeah. I hope that you can come out to some of the shows. We're gonna play my first Brooklyn show. I might be booking a show in July. I'll keep you posted, but my first official show is at Warsaw with Andy Schaff on the uh, I think the ninth is sold out, but the tenth isn't sold out yet.
0: Oh, cool. oh yeah, i'll I'll definitely try and come. yeah what 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 do you have going on for the rest of the day?
1: I'm here in the country where I let's see I have to. I'm going to shoot a couple like little at home performances and um, I'm going to, I'm cooking for myself all day, every day. And uh, just hopefully going to go for a walk in the rain. I don't know. I'm having a pretty chill day. So thanks for getting me off to a good, intellectual start
0: <laughs> well great I'm, I'm glad i'm glad it went that way <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah thanks thanks again cassandra and and really the, the record's great and congrats on everything thank
1: you great to all talk
0: right. to you all right take care